Do you want to connect with the gifts of your soul and embark on a spiritual path that has meaning for you? Become your own mystical muse with the help of Elena Chapman in this illuminating podcast. Listen in on thought-provoking conversations that will help you discover meaning and fulfillment in this chaotic and harsh world by blending modern scientific understanding with the teachings of ancient sages and spiritual masters. Conversations that will help you find your special gifts and gain insight into the spiritual world's countless advantages are coming your way. And they promise to be enjoyable, open, and free of judgment. Let's start this enlightening journey with your host, Elena. Welcome to Mystical Muse, and I'm your host, Elena Chapman, and it is all about that practical spirituality to guide us on our journey. And if you don't know, I am a mystic and also a soul nurturer, and I've helped thousands to discover that incredible beauty they have inside. And when they get that beauty, they start to understand the toxicity they have in their lives, and in their minds, and they can now be rid of it so that they can shine the very brightest that they ever have shown. So today though, we have an incredible special guest. And this person, oh my gosh, I have read his books and I had it on my nightstand for so many years. And now we get to talk to him. He has a new book out. Now, I'm gonna give you a little hint. He wrote Conversations with God. (gasps) Did some of you get it? If not, you're in for a wonderful treat. He has written a new book. It's called The God Solution. Now, this book begins with some of the most incredible questions that are so pertinent to our global challenges in this day. Quote, unquote, If there really is a God, why is our world such a mess? (laughs) Really? (laughs) What good does it do to have a supreme being who doesn't or won't fix anything? Where is God in all of this? And for those of us who call God universe, you just fill in the blank. It's the same thing. Supreme being, God, universe, it doesn't matter. Author Neil Donald Walsh is our guest today. He calls this the God Dilemma and suggests in his new book that if humanity wishes to solve its problems, it must take a dramatic and revolutionary theological step, create a brand new definition of God. (laughs) And a deal, well, It's an idea about the supreme being that none of the world's major religions now teach, that most will disagree with, and that would generate a new global ethic, dramatically improving humanity's political, economic, social, and spiritual interactions. Now, I have read the book twice, and I am so happy to have you here, Neil, to discuss these incredible ideas 
And I think it's going to kind of shake people today. And I think it's, an, a, good, it's a good thing. We need to do that. We need to shake ourselves up to the possibilities of change, which we so need now. But I have a question to start you off, okay? Perfect, what? thank you. <laughs> you are so welcome. What, you know, you, you have, let's put it this way, with conversations with God, you were brave. You were brave to go on the journey to start to open a communication with a supreme being like that. Not only were you brave, but you were also open enough in your mind to be able to hear it with such clarity and bring it to us, to the world, which was incredible. And so you have, were so advanced in your own spiritual journey to be able to do that to begin with. Now, all of a sudden, you were touched. What is it that woke you to this new book, to, to this idea that had to be brought out? Let me back up just a couple of inches here uh, and negate and deny everything that you said prior to getting to the actual question. Okay. I don't feel uh, courageous or brave in any way. I certainly don't feel spiritually advanced in any way at all. I don't feel that I was, you know, massively or significantly spiritually developed in order to hear these messages. And I know you use those kind words to introduce, you know, who I am to the audience, but in fact, that's that was not my experience. And it is not my experience to this day. My experience is that all of us are having what I would what I have chosen to call conversations with God all the time. My experience is and has been that it doesn't require a certain huge level of massive spiritual development uh, in order for us to receive those messages. My observation has been that we're simply calling them something else. That is, most people would not call them conversations with God. They might call them a psychic hit or uh, an epiphany or a sudden insight or yeah. a brilliant idea that just you know landed on me while I was in the shower, you know, or or whatever. But so we don't call it a conversation with God, but that's of course exactly what it is. So yeah. it hasn't been my experience that it took any courage as well for me to uh, put this into the public sphere. Um, I, I did it really on a dare because uh, really? I, was, I was, well, I was daring God. God said to me, uh, uh, I experienced that, that God was saying to me in what became book one. At the time, it was simply a personal encounter that I was having. I never, never dreamt it would become a, a printed document that anyone else would read. I was having a simple, personal, sacred experience in my own home, in my own heart, in my own mind. Um, and so it was a back and forth dialogue that I happened to be keeping track of on paper because I didn't want to forget what was being exchanged because the experience was so radically unusual for me. So um, I, I went ahead and kept a, a written record of it. But I was told in that very first conversation, Neil, you will make of this one day a book and it will be accessed by many people. Now, nice. uh, uh, Elena, you have to understand that when I heard that in my mind's ear, I thought, this, this is not going to happen. No, no publisher in the country is going to 
put a book out you know, that, 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 that that's a person he never heard of in their life, this strange person from Oregon is going to send them a manuscript that says, hey, I had a conversation with God, and here's what he said. You know, I, I mean, I can imagine the, the the publisher going out to the workroom floor saying to his editors, hold the presses. I've got a guy here who's talking to God. It's not going to yeah. happen. So, uh. I, so I sent it out, in fact, to, you know, the pub, a few, a, just a small group, I think three or four individual publishers to see out of dare to see what would happen just to see because it, I thought well, if it really gets published, you know, um, it'll it'll be a confirm for me that what I'm experiencing is actually what's happening. That it's wow. not something I'm I'm not making right. it up in my mind. It's actually occurring. Well, right. by golly, if I didn't get a call from a relatively small publisher, they publish maybe five or eight books a year on the East Coast, yeah. Hampton Roads Publishing Company. And they said, you know, we'd like to we'd like to publish your book. It's a wonderful piece of work. And so, but they wanted to change the title and they wanted to publish it, saying it was a great work of fiction, and we're going to get it out there. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not a work of fiction. You will not be publishing this book as a fiction book, and it's not going to have its title changed. I had an actual conversation with God. You either publish it as a nonfiction book without changing the title, or don't publish it at all. Good. And Good. the publisher was kind of surprised. He said, "You know, most people when they get offered to have their first book published, snap it up." I said, "Not if we're going to tell a lie about it. No. We're either going to have it be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, or we're not going to put the book out." He said, "That would have done the whole message. You you know that." He said, well, okay, we'll put the book out, but he's got, got to tell you with a title like that, it's going to push a lot of people back. And especially if you want them to really believe you had a personal conversation with God. You know, we might sell two or 3,000 copies, but it's, it's not going to sell a lot because people are going to be pushed away from it. And he was right, of course. It didn't, it didn't sell all that well. Only 15 million copies in 37. <laughs> See, yeah, he was not right. And it would have diluted it. You know what I mean? To make it fiction. To, because oh, then I wasn't it, even thinking about it. it diluted it. It wouldn't even be close to representing how it not, destroyed the entire message of the book. Of course, I remember would. when I saw the book, I was so intrigued. I thought, oh, my gosh, I have got to read this. I took it right up right away. And it was the fact that it was conversations with God. I wanted to hear what you learned. And that's what, I mean, I totally believed it right from the start. So I think that's most of your readers. And now- so That's how it turned out around the world, correct. Yeah. And now you have the God solution. And well, to answer your question, I, I'm sorry, I, I had to double back to clarify what that's happened. That's okay, today. I love it. But to, to answer your question, you know, the, the question you began with, what brought this up for me was the situation that I, the world found itself in. The book was written uh, in nine days uh, from um, wow. August August 3rd, I think, through August 7th, something like that, uh, August uh, in August of 2020. And it was published immediately. And that is, that is it, normally it takes about six to nine months at least yes. to, get, yes. to get a book published, and sometimes a year. But when the publisher received it, 
and they, they called my uh, literary agent and said, we want to put this book out immediately. And so they put the book out within, you know, just a few weeks. It was on the market wow. uh, on the 1st of December, 2020, just a, just a few weeks later. So what caused me to write the book at that time was the condition the world was in. We had just gone uh, through the beginning of the COVID uh, mm -hmm. dilemma and the COVID, you know, uh, uh, worldwide challenge, yeah. which created global economic nightmares right and left. Yes. We, we were also moving through some incredibly uh, challenging uh, moments of racial injustice. Yes. Uh, with, you know, with people being, you know, strangled and shot or killed by, by police officers and so forth around yeah. the place. And so I thought, you know, what, I really thought, what is going on? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. What, what, you know, if, if there really is a God, why is the world in such a mess? What, what's going on? So I was right. asking those questions of myself. And then I thought, I, I, I started writing I said, I've got to write about this. And I, it wasn't a dialogue. People have to understand the God solution. It's not a dialogue book. It's not a back and forth question no. and answer. It's a no, simple, it's straightforward, very short. You can read it in an hour and a half or two. A very short narrative uh, exposition, exploration of the God dilemma, what I call the God dilemma. If there really is a God, what difference does it make? Because it's not helping us a lot. Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Uh, or what's missing uh, in uh, our understanding of who and what God is and how to work with God. Wouldn't it be a terrible shame if it turned out that the only challenge is, the problem is, the reason the world is in such a mess is not because it's not a God, but because we have not come to an awareness of who and what God is, what God wants, what God does if God does not get what God wants, and whether or not we can use this thing that we call a higher power. You know what's interesting, Elena? Um, what? Eight out of 10 people uh, around the world, uh, uh, sociologists have been taking surveys here in the past five or seven years on all the continents of the planet, asking a single question. Most surveys are not one question surveys, but they decided to do this experiment. They simply ask a single question. Do you believe in a higher power? 8.5, this is a statistical number, you can't cut a person in half, but 8.5 people out of every 10 people said yes. That's pretty good. It, it it was an astonishing uh, a result that the yeah. anthropologists found. But here's here's what's sad about that: with eighty five percent of the people on the planet, from every culture, believing in, in in a higher power of some kind, we've agreed that there is a higher power that we can't agree on. Yes, we can't agree on. In fact, what it is, what it wants, what it does, if it doesn't get what it wants. And for that matter, whether even we are allowed to use that higher power. So this is what I call the God dilemma. And what I've decided to write about was the God solution. The solution, as I thought about it, was, you know, it's really quite simple. We have simply misunderstood who and what God is and how we can interact with the divine in a way that serves the continuing evolution of our species. So I wrote a book called The God Solution. And mm. not to give away you know, the entire plot in one sentence, but The God Solution is to well, simply... To go ahead. The God Solution is to simply redefine, create a new definition of God. That's what I think is so interesting. And because, because the definition we've been using simply has not been serving us. 
Yes. And I love this new definition. And if we define it, and we define it as a populace, my first question to you is, uh, if people are starting to do this, how open do you think the institutions of religion are going to be to this? Well, and how think... we, you know, because that's, have you, well, first of all, let me preface that question. Do you believe that um, there's a level of control in, in that religious sector of, of the flock in a way that keeps them in the flock in the first place? And if that with dogmas and what they say and, and uh, in, in each religion to keep people in that faith, do you find that that will be hard for them to sacrifice? Well, of course it will. There are 4,237 religions on the planet right now. Yeah, no. That's not a made up number. You can Google it. Just type in Google how many religions are there and you'll get the answer over 4,200 faith traditions now being practiced on the planet today. And most of them, to be fair, not all of them, but by far the largest number of them, preach of a God that we should be afraid of. That is, you know, we're considered a good person when they say, he's God. a God-fearing man. Yeah, I never understood that even as a kid. He's a God-fearing <laughs> man. So, so we, we are told that we're supposed to be afraid of God because God judges, condemns, and punishes those who don't obey God's dictates, whether we call them commandments or rules or regulations, whatever they are. And, and this, the difficult thing about that is they change from religion to religion. Some religions say, you know, you, you must wear, a, you have to cover your head. If you, you have to cover your hair if you're a female. Males don't have to, but females, you have to cover your hair. And by the way, if you don't cover your hair, and most of your body, while we're at it, you will be arrested by the morality police. Yeah. Not only, not only. Oh, and by the way, you, you can't go to college if you have a vagina. Or in fact, you can't even go to high school if you're female. You can't even go to high school Incredible. because it's against our it's against our religion. It's, it's, against it's our religion. Fun. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and but here's one that I was taught by the Catholic Church. Uh, I was sent to a Catholic school as a young man. As a child, God bless my parents, they meant well, but they didn't quite understand what was being taught there. And in the third grade, the priest came in to do his weekly class. He gave a class every week on Catholic catechism, the, the doctrines and the dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, he was there to teach that week on the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. Mortal sin being a sin that if you die with it on your soul, you go straight to hell. A venial sin being, I would describe it as a spiritual misdemeanor. Not, not a really major oh. difference. But, but I'm, yeah. not make, I'm not joking. This is, I'm not making this up. I went uh, to a Catholic school. I don't, we didn't have this, so I love the story. Oh, man, you, you didn't have mortal sins and venial sins? Wow. We didn't talk about it. The priest never told us anything. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> well, well the, well, the priest came in and gave us a lecture about this. And I said, Father, raise my little nine-year-old hand. Can you give me an example of a mortal sin? He said, oh, sure. Uh, if you die with this sin in your soul and you don't confess it, and you 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 die if you miss mass on Sunday, uh, you go straight to hell. Oh come on! And I said I said Father, really? And the priest said, Well, no, 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 no. There are some exceptions. 
if you have to if you're caring for a sick parent or if you're working you're an adult and you have a job you have to go to but but if you do not have a legitimate excuse you just choose not to go to mass that sunday go play some golf instead and then if you don't confess that sin that's a mortal sin and if you don't confess that sin and you get hit by a car on monday and die you will be sent straight to hell and i'm, wow. I'm thinking are you telling me what so talk about using fear to fill the pews yeah now, as it happened that sunday it, it, it was really sad that it was on a wednesday the sunday before as it happened i missed mass i hardly ever miss mass i was an altar boy for heaven's sake i went to mass and and served as an altar boy but i chose that particular sunday to go play in a softball tournament that my playground my neighborhood playground was sponsoring a softball tournament i wanted to play in the tournament i thought well i'll just i won't go to mass this sunday but when he told me this the following Wednesday, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I get hit by a car, if I die and I go, I gotta, I gotta get the confession. You don't think I was racing to the confessional? Yeah. To tell the priest. Just confess your sins so you don't go to hell. <laughs> Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. My last confession was a week ago. Here is oh. my sin. I missed mass last Sunday oh without a good excuse. And the priest gives me, you know, absolution and gives me penance. I'm supposed to say, and I, I could breathe easy, knowing that if I did get hit by a car, I wouldn't go straight to hell. I'd go to purgatory. We all know what purgatory is. Yes, it's, we all know purgatory. Yes, where you go if you have sins on your soul, but at least it wasn't a mortal sin. <laughs> now, now, you know, I'm not making fun of the Catholic Church, but oh, and by the way, in case people think, well, that was 35, 40, 50 years ago. Check it out. The church, because I did, I checked it out to make sure I wasn't wrong on this. The Catholic Church teaches to this day that missing Mass on Sunday without a good excuse yeah. is a mortal sin sending yeah. you straight to hell. Yes. So um, these, and so and many of the other faith traditions on the planet also place before us dogmas and doctrines that tell us doctrines doctrines that aren't well, the truth let, let, let me explain one more thing if i can why this is important sure, of course you may it goes past just the doc, dogmas and doctrines that we have been asked to embrace it drives right to our own behaviors because we have been instructed now, folks you got to hear this if this is not just oh, okay so a few religions are teaching us some things that aren't true we have been told by our religions that we are to behave the way God behaves. We are to model God's behavior and bring it into our own behavior. In fact, the Bible tells us directly we are to imitate God. You don't believe me? Look up Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, yeah. where we are instructed directly in the Bible to imitate God. Now, if we are imitating God, and of course we are, because we've decided to be as God is, loving for sure, to be fair, yes. loving for sure, yes. but also out of our love to be judgmental, condemning, and punishing. And that's how we act with each other. Yes. Even with the person across the pillow, much less the person across the, the, the globe, we are judging, condemning, and punishing of each other. And so, yeah. but if we would decide, if we would decide to make an incredibly dramatic theological statement. What if we chose to redefine God? 
What if he said, you know what? God can be defined in two words. Pure love. Yes. Now, yes. Elena, when I say that in a public lecture, somebody inevitably gets up in the back of the room. There's always a, a naysayer who will stand up in the back of the room and say, neon, 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 neon. I've been listening to you for 20 minutes for you to tell me that God is love. Everybody knows that. Even the religions who differ on other doctrines, they all agree that God is love. And I have to say to my friend, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, that's not what I said. You didn't hear me say that. I said that God is pure love. Exactly. Now my friend in the back of the room will say, okay, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Now that's theologically revolutionary. That pulls the rug out from under 90% of the world's religions. Yes, We're saying that God requires nothing of us to receive God's love. Absolutely nothing. Yep. You know, and that's it's only hard to believe how many. So that's many it. cannot believe that. And so that's the God solution because if we chose to really imitate that God, a God of pure love, we would eliminate judgment, condemnation, and punishment from our own interactions with each other. Exactly. Nations would stop punishing nations when the, the other nation doesn't do what we want. People, yes. races would stop punishing other races when we don't think that the other race is doing what we want. People of different sexual orientations would stop. I mean, I mean the whole thing, the yeah. massively dysfunctional behavior of humanity across the board would stop. Elena, I've never seen the level of alienation that I'm seeing on this planet now, even in my lifetime. I know. I know. It floors me. I don't understand how, and I, and even in the United States now, what's happening here, I just am floored. It's, it's... We, we have a whole new idea of leadership. We call it leadership when a person who is running for president or actually becomes president, starts berating and belittling other people using rank fun. insults. I know. And we, and call, we, we now call insults leadership. Oh, yeah. I see. We're going to make ourselves great again. Yeah, great. And we have unleashed so much hate, and we have re unleashed so much prejudice in this world now. And people who just feel free feel free to demean others and they call it justice and there are the warriors. And that brings me up to my next question. I do, I do believe in this pure unconditional love. I have felt it. And when I, and so I know that it's there. And that's one of the things I've been able to have in my journey spiritually is be able to feel that. I asked for it one time. And I remember I um, I had a gift when I was seven of um, and and a god some kind of angel came and said you will you will receive lost souls that will come to you you can you offer them the light seven I said oh how fun the priest said I had a wild imagination that needs to be tamed and my mother was scared to death but I've been doing that every day of my life now. With that, I, um, I have seen now so much of this hurt we are having. 
and people who feel this righteousness, this self-righteousness, that they are the warriors of their God, their God, because that's not mine. And when they feel so just and they're being fed this, and if you, I know that you have watched politics, they've really been fed this rhetoric since the 1970s with Reagan before, you know, to get him elected. And with that, how do we say there's a new thought here <laughs> and take away all that they have been ingrained in with this self-righteousness? How do we diffuse that in this movement of what is truly the truth, that God is that pure love? I think the way that we do it is twofold. Number one, we follow the invitation and the suggestion of Gandhi, who said something very simple. Be the change you wish to see. Yeah. So we move through life as the change we wish to see. Number two, the second thing we do is we move from the square on the playing board of life called seeker to the square on the playing board of life called source. I spent the first 50 years of my life as a seeker, seeking the truth, seeking understanding, seeking friendship, seeking love, seeking God's graces, you know, whatever, you know, seeking healing, whatever I was seeking, insight, wisdom, understanding, patience, compassion, seeking, seeking, seeking. I was what's called a seeker yeah. with a capital S. Yeah. And then God said to me in my conversations with God, Neil, you're on the wrong square on the playing board. As long as you occupy that square seeker, you'll be looking for someone else from whom to receive what you are seeking. I like that. Yes, you will. I'm going to invite you to go to a different square on the playing board called source. Be the source of that which you had been seeking. That the fastest way, this is the second part of my answer to your question, the mm -hmm. fastest way for us to experience what we wish to experience is to be the cause of another person experiencing the same thing. That is why it turns out that virtually every major spiritual master, Catherine of Genoa, Jesus of Nazareth, Julian of Norwich, Joan of Arc, Teresa of Avila, the Buddha, Muhammad, bless his holy name, all the great spiritual masters, male or female through the years, have been what? Ah, teachers. Exactly. I see. In other words, they were sharing every one of them to a person. They were sharing with others what they had come to deeply know and to deeply understand. They were the cause of other people reaching the same understandings. Or as one of those guys said, I guess he was about 2,000 years ago saying, walking around saying, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Which is just another way of saying whatever you want to experience in your own life, be the cause of someone else experiencing it in their life. Exactly. But, but here's the thing. 
in order for us to change the world's mind about God, we have to offer us a, a change. We have to offer a difference. We have to offer a message that somehow seems to make sense. Now, very few people have a difficult time when you say God is pure love. They only start having challenges when you say, and pure love means that God requires nothing in return. I drive people crazy when I give a talk. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm invited to talk in churches. Believe it or not, I've been invited by some, mm -hmm. some of the new thought churches. And I'm invited to give a little sermon. And the first right. thing I do when I stand up on Sunday morning is to say, I, I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am. Thank you for being here on this wonderful morning. And I want to share with you uh, that I've come to share uh, an important message. God will never forgive you for anything. And the place goes nuts. Yeah. <laughs> People get up and they walk out of the church, waving their hands. So I have to, as I have to explain, do you really think that God forgives you for something? Because if you think that God forgives you, you must also think that you can somehow do something that would alienate, upset, frustrate, injure, annoy, disappoint, or anger God. And such a thing would be utterly impossible. Yeah. Given who and what God is. And then people say, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, yeah, buts, all the yeah, buts come out. And I have to explain to people, and I say to how many of you in this congregation have ever had the blessing of holding a, an infant, a newborn, you know, infant, maybe eight or nine months old in your arms? Most of the hands go up, maybe their own child or, you know, the child of a friend, whatever, but they, almost everyone has at least once in their life had the beauty mm -hmm. of holding an infant in their arms. I say, okay, now if you're holding the infant in your arms, and that baby happens to have a, an unfortunate biological accident. Do I have to explain that or do you understand what I mean? I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. So the, so the baby yes. has an unfortunate yes. biological accident while you're holding yes. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> creating a, somewhat of a disappointing outcome with your brand new clothes that you were just... <laughs> Which Sunday, they do. Sunday yeah. best. Do you yeah. say? Do you say to the baby, "It's okay, sweetheart. I forgive you." Of course you do. No, you don't. Because no, you don't. You, you understand that forgiveness is not part of the equation. You don't forgive an eight-year-old for doing what an eight-year-old has done. Right. You know, we don't forgive. Right. You don't think twice about it. You actually you know, don't. You certainly don't forgive a, 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 any more than God would forgive us because we are the infants yeah. of God's universe. Yes. We are still, after all these years, acting like children. Yes, we are. I think when we understand that God is pure love, and like I said, I've felt it, and it's so freeing, and it's so non-judgmental, and it is so accepting. It just loosens every part of you. You just want to giggle, actually. And when you feel that, I don't think, and all the souls that have ever come to me, I always have to release. The reason why people don't go to the light, I'll tell you right now, 
it is because they are so scared of judgment. They are always so scared of not being worthy. I think we have done a massive disservice in our teachings to teach people that God is so to be feared and that he judges us. Yes, because she doesn't. She doesn't. And I use he, she, but I didn't that time. Yes, yeah, uh, because it is neither a he, she. But yes, totally. And when we, so if we understand that pure love, it negates everything we were taught. So yes, how, but then people say to me, well, what about justice? What about, what about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? <laughs> where, where, where does justice come in? You mean a person can do whatever they want? You, know, you mean a murderer, a rapist, a, a child molester, whatever, mm -hmm. can do whatever they want? And God says, welcome home? Yes. Well, I'm sorry <laughs> to have to tell people, but the answer is yes. Yes. That's why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, for exactly that reason. Yes. Yeah. How, if we've got people, for people to be able to have that pure love, we have to do certain things for ourselves. It is all about us. I do Rowan. want to back up. If, can, may I just back up one, one second? And, and oh, of something? course you may. <clears throat> people, people who hear what I've just said would say, well, then we can all do whatever we want. We, we, we can, in fact, rape oh, women. I see you're going. You know, yes. we, can, we can steal yeah. people's money. You know, we, we can hurt people. Well, what's the difference? Ravage we, we, the we, earth, right? <laughs> we can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah. So, you know, what's to stop us? If it's not our fear of God, what's to stop us from doing whatever we want? God says, welcome home. It's okay. So you murdered. So you were a mass murderer. No problem. Welcome home. <clears throat> Conversations God made it very clear to me that while God does not punish us, send us to everlasting damnation. Oh, by the way, the Catholic Church teaches that even murderers, if they confess their sin and are given uh, absolution by the priest, would not go to hell. Right. So this is not what you'd call new age philosophy. The mm -hmm. most holy Roman Catholic Church, one of the oldest churches in existence, teaches essentially the same thing, that you can be admitted into heaven. But I want to make some a point. I was told in my conversations with God that this doesn't mean that while there are no punishments, that there are no consequences. Right. And the consequence I'm told in conversations with God is that we will be given an opportunity to experience the emotional impact of what we created in the life of another. Exactly. That is, that is, God will say, not by the way, for purposes of punishment, for, but for purposes of, could I use the word loosely, education, that mm -hmm. is for purposes of evolution, that yes. we evolve as a soul Oh, by yep. allowing ourselves to experience the emotional content of what we caused others to experience. Exactly. And yes. so then we suddenly uh, understand, oh. We wake up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me that everything that I do to another, I will experience in the so-called afterlife? Well, that is a hell. 
of its own making, but it's not an eternal experience. It just happens during our so-called life review, which takes place, you know, uh, in an instant. And then we decide in the next lifetime, what do I want to change? We, we, we of course, have more than one lifetime. Of hundreds course. and hundreds and hundreds of reincarnations. And we mm -hmm. decide, okay, do I want to behave that way again? Or in what way can I serve the agenda of my soul? Yes, exactly. exactly. So thank you for letting me go on and on about that particular aspect. Because I, no, I, I didn't want I people to say to themselves, oh, well, you can, that means you can do anything you want. So I've tried, I tried to raise my children in the same way. I said, children, uh, there are no punishments in this house. You will not be punished, but there will be consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I used to say the same thing. <laughs> it's true. Well, you talk a lot. Of, could you explain what the ideas, the idea hero is? Yeah, an idea hero uh, is a person, <clears throat> excuse me, who espouses and lives into and shares with others ideas that he or she knows ahead of time. The largest number of people are going to disagree with. Galileo was a perfect example. You know, he talked about the Catholic Church. Here we go again. I'm not going to be, I'm not here to be a Catholic basher, but this is a matter of history. Everybody, everybody knows about this history. Right. He was, um, <clears throat> he declared in the 1600s, somewhere 1642 or somewhere in there, that yeah. the earth revolves around the sun. And of course, yeah. the, the church taught that the sun revolved around the earth because it was the church's teaching that the earth was the center of the universe and that human beings were God's greatest creation in all of the cosmos. So uh, they uh, actually condemned um, Galileo. And, oh. and sent him to, um, not a prison, but he was under house arrest for the rest of his life. Very sad. Be because he, and it took, it took the Catholic Church 350 years, not 350 days, but 350 years later, the Catholic Church finally admitted, you know what, we were wrong about that, and they rescinded the condemnation of Galileo. <clears throat> Galileo, <clears throat> excuse me, was an, uh, an idea hero. Yes, he was. <clears throat> and there have been other idea heroes as well. Yeah. Um, Ignace Semmelweis was a Hungarian doctor in um, the late 1800s who said, you know what, we should really wash our hands between procedures at the hospital because the infant mortality rate is out of sight and we should and they, they much less wash our hands in an antiseptic liquid, alcohol of some kind. And they told him he was crazy. And they actually drummed him out of the medical profession because he would not stop teaching that we should use an antiseptic liquid to purify our hands between procedures because doctors were going from the morgue to the birthing room yeah. without washing their hands. Oh God! And and so he was an idea hero as well because he stuck to his idea, yeah. even though he was drummed out of the medical profession and sadly died in a mental institution, thinking That's that he was insane because his peers told him he was crazy. Barbara yes. McClintock, another wonderful idea hero, in 1940 said she had discovered something. She's a geneticist. Barbara McClintock was a geneticist. Yes. <clears throat> and she discovered what she called jumping genes. 
which which were you know, that that genes could jump from one chromosome to another, which explained the differences in inherited characteristics of plants and human beings. She also was roundly criticized, and she literally stopped publishing for 25 years. Finally, she came back and she said, you know what, I'm sorry, I have to tell you guys, there is such a thing as a jumping gene. This is an important new understanding of genetics. And in 1983, she won the Nobel Prize for her discovery. So Amazing. then people said, well, okay, Barbara. So, you know, from 1942 to 1983, all right, 40 years you had to dis <laughs> disavow your own. But, you know, <clears throat> so a, an idea hero is someone who declares something and sticks to it, even though they know ahead of time that it's going to meet with round dis disapproval, just yeah. all over the place. <clears throat> it's going to take an idea hero to even read the book, <clears throat> excuse me, The God Solution, much less to agree with it, much less to announce it to others. It's going to take idea heroes to say, you know what? We've had it all wrong about God. God does not judge, condemn, and punish anybody for anything, any more than we would judge, condemn, and punish a two-year-old child for spilling the milk at the kitchen mm -hmm. table. It's no use crying over spilled milk. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to change our idea about who and what God is. I love that. You talk in the book, which I have also been teaching, about feeling versus just thinking and how thinking leads to feeling, the importance of feeling. Yeah, it, we, we've been taught, um, uh, Elena, We've been taught that <clears throat> the manifestation process involves thinking. Yeah. We should, you know, positive thinking, so-called positive thinking. Right. And you, <laughs> friend, that was my first book, by the way, thinking um, the uh, as a man thinketh. And so when you brought that up in your book, I thought, oh, he started with that too. <laughs> yeah, James <laughs> Allen's wonderful little booklet, As a Man Thinketh. As a Man and, thinketh. and there have been many, many, many other books as well. Yes written about the power, the so-called power of positive thinking, including the book by that title, The Power yes. of Positive Thinking. Yes. Um, yeah. By Dr. Reverend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. That's right. That's right. So I, and I read that book as well when I was a young man. He only wrote it about a few, a, you know, a few years before I was born. And when I was a younger man, 10, 12, 14 years old, I picked up a copy and I read it. So, but what I was told in my conversations with God is that while positive thinking can be important, what's even more powerful is our emotions. <clears throat> to, to, because emotion is what we, when we put thoughts into motion, when we put energy into motion, that's why it's called emotion. Yes. And the emotions that we express are the, are the more powerful energies that we send into the universe that can manifest the realities that we wish to experience. Now comes an interesting twist. <clears throat> I was given the information in the God Solution, not only <clears throat> move from your thoughts to your emotions, but meld, blend your emotions with your understanding of God's feeling. 
about any particular situation. Give an example, you, could you? Oh, sure. Um, this is going to be startling. This is going to be <laughs> difficult for some people to hear, but okay. I was told Hitler went to heaven. He did. <laughs> because God understood. By the way, understanding does not mean you approve of, that no. you condone, that you want it to be repeated. It simply means I understand how a person at that level of mind could have done something so, frankly, so insane. Mm -hmm. So understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Yes. So I've... The I example, think that the, bears the example, repeating. <laughs> that so bears repeating. Yeah, understand. understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Love I this. invite people to write that on their bathroom mirror. Yes. Get a magic marker, get a little felt dip pen. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Yes. And so, regardless of what your offense has been, the highest power in the universe says, I understand how that could have happened. Now, yes. I have used that awareness that understanding in my daily life me too you know when, when a person is having a challenge with me i might even if they've hurt my feelings i might mm -hmm. say to them can you help me to know what hurts you so much that you feel you have to hurt me in order to heal it mm -hmm. one of the most powerful questions we could have asked we could ask that question of, of all the terrorists that were terrorizing yeah. people around the world. What hurts you so much that you feel you have to hurt me in order to heal it? If somebody sat down with Mr. Putin tomorrow wow. and said, what hurts you and your nation so much that you feel you have to hurt others in order to heal it? You know, um, when I first started, I worked in a, um, a group that worked in the court system. And we worked with couples that, um, and I was a certified instructor and counselor. And um, when you didn't play nice in court, you came to see me, you lucky person. <laughs> and the one thing I saw through this, because you would have people hurting people in relationships so much, and the distance and the... But every time I taught, I would see and understand why that person was hurting the other person so bad. Sure. You could see the pain that they were in. And, and that it doesn't, doesn't justify, justify it. I want to make clear to our audience that doesn't justify it. It doesn't, it doesn't justify condone it. it. It doesn't, you know, allow it. Without to be understanding, we cannot, we cannot help that person grow and not hurt anyone. We cannot just accusing someone and our system now being judgmental and harsh, it doesn't reach any, it doesn't help. And, it's not, and remedial, just, it's not remedial at any level. And no, it's not. Can you imagine, can you imagine a country that kills people that, that actually tells the government to kill people yes. in order to teach people that killing people is not okay. Exactly. What is that? How, how do you justify that? that? How do you justify the death penalty? Who can justify the death penalty and not see the contradiction? 
But people would say, Neil, 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 come on. Come on. <laughs> Even the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Oh. Yeah. So no. it's biblical. Yeah. If somebody right. kills somebody, we kill them. No, no, no. Yeah. But the Bible also says, bless, bless. Bless. Bless your enemies. Yes. Turn the other cheek. And pay. Yeah. Do good to those who would do you evil. And pray for those who persecute you. And, and yes, if a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And if a man sues you at court and demands your coat, give him your shirt as well. And yeah. if a man demands that you walk one mile with him, go with him twain. Nice. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness yes. that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch will know who they really are as well. But be careful, because if you walk around saying stuff like that, you could get crucified. <laughs> yes, you could. You could. Yeah, I know. When, when people understand, or when they start to understand that we are all equal, and we start to see that there is no difference between any of us. Well, no, wait I a minute. Uh, equality does not mean there's no difference. There are, well, there are I mean, of course there's I, difference. I see difference. Well, you yes. just said that, you, but you just use a phrase when they understand there's no difference. I, yeah. And no, I mean on a spiritual level. There's really not a difference. We are all spirits within a body. But of course we come down, well, you're a man, I'm a woman. Are we different biologically? I would hope so. Viva la difference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But in the spirit world, we are all here for one reason, to, to learn what the soul needs to learn to evolve. Actually, I was told in conversations with God, we have nothing to learn. I asked uh, God, you know, I, said, I said the same thing to God you just said right now. Before, well, of course, we all understand. No, we we, oh we understand we've come here to learn. And God said, you, you, you have nothing to learn, Neil. You have nothing to learn. And I said, wow, wow, wow. Everyone tells me that life is a school. And God said, they're wrong. Neil, is there a tree anywhere near where you live? I said, yeah, there's a tree right outside my window. He said, describe it. I said, well, it's a beautiful oak, probably 25, 30 feet high with a beautiful canopy. I've been there, I'm sure, for a long time. God said, what is the tree learned since it was a seed no bigger than your little fingernail? I said, well, it hasn't learned anything. It just grew into itself. And God said to me, are you telling me that I planted in the seed everything that the tree needed to know to become that beautiful 30-foot specimen outside your window? I said, well, I, I suppose you could put it that way. And then God said to me, Neil, if I so love the tree, would I not all the more love you? Do you really think I sent you out there? Good luck. I hope you learn what you have to learn. 
Neil, I embedded it all in the seed that you once were. Everything you need to know. Life is not a process of learning. That's what I it's a process of remembering who remember. you really are and what you already know. Yeah. That changed everything for me. Yeah. Because I began to then reach inside to what I already understand and what I already know about all the moments of my life, even as they're happening. So I just want to share with your audience, don't be confused. You have you're not this life is not a school. You did not come here to learn, but you have come here to remember. That is to become a member once again of the body of God. That's true mm -hmm. remembering. I could, of course, yeah. be wrong about all of this. <laughs> I don't think so. However, I don't think so. I do not think so. I think there are so many of us who have heard so many similar things. And, and it is a release in this world that we have uh, so much stress. We have so many kids, 20-year-olds on, on Prozac and stuff to help their anxiety. We have so much worrying at this point in time, in this day, today. It's, it's really a message that needs to be heard. To just loosen up. Don't worry. You have nothing to prove. You do not have to be anyone. Just relax and trust in yourself. And I don't think we, we just, we were just creating more stress. I have three boys and my boys are um, all of that age. They're all millennials. And one just turned 18 yesterday. So he's joining, he's even another whatever age they have now. But I have two millennials out there and they are, um, they're equipped. They're equipped to trust themselves. And I see how they feel so good about every day when others are so worried. But what people don't really know, that is in largest number, most people don't really know what they're doing here. That is, if they hear what you've just said, they might say, okay, fair enough, but then what's the point of life? What's, what's the point? What, why did we come here? I don't understand what the point of it is, <laughs> if what you're saying is true. Because yeah. people have not asked themselves the quintessential question, who am I? See, yes. there are already only four fundamental questions of life. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what yes. do I intend to do about that? Yes. And if we think that we are simply this, a body and a mind, then we're going to have one point of view with regard to all of that. But we, if we understand that, oh, I see I'm a spiritual being having a body and a mind. But this is not who I am. I am the spiritual entity that has this equipment. And I'm using this equipment to serve the agenda of the soul. Then suddenly, my raison d'etre, my reason for being, becomes very clear. Oh, I see. I've come to work to the earth, not to get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the better car, get the better job, get a better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> get your name, you know, on the door, on the office door. Get the building with your name on the building on the corner. Yeah, no. It's not, that's not why we're here. No. We have, no. We have come here 
to announce and declare, express and fulfill, experience and demonstrate who we really are. That is, the agenda of the soul is to evolve into a demonstration of our true identity as individual expressions of divinity itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We are, and people say to me in my lectures, oh, Neil, come on now. You're trying to say that we are God. I say, wait, guys, relax. I said that we are individuations of divinity as a wave is to the ocean. The wave is not separate from the ocean in any way. It's not something other than the ocean. It is the ocean in a singular arising and a beautiful, powerful, glorious, arising individual expression. And when that individual expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean whence it came to arise again on another day. So friends, go out and make waves. Go out and make waves. There is a quote from Meister Eckhart, and I was seeing if I could do it justice. I'm never very good with quotes. However, it goes something like this. And I, I want to hear your opinion. It is one that I have thought about a lot and I rethought about it. And I think I have come to my own justice with it or my own realization, but I want to hear your view. So it reads this way, that the that God can become the soul, but the soul does not become God. Um, soul does not become what it already is. This, the soul is an individual expression of God. Yeah. The wave is an individual expression of the ocean. It's not something other than the ocean. And it doesn't become the ocean. It arises from the ocean and recedes back into the ocean. So the soul does not become God. The right. soul is an individual arising. Yes. It's a singularization of I the see. singularity. Right. When my, when my brother passed in 2021, he had a hard time going to the light. In fact, he was horrid. And so when in fact he I, was what? Horrid? Horrid. H-O-R-R-I-D. He he was um banging on my drum all the time and just causing me grief. And so when I I actually took him to the light, I was told that I was the one he trusted. And I did in the spiritual world, I took him to heaven. When I got there, I was amazed because what was the highest expression that I could experience in my highest expression of myself? I could see this massive, it looked like a white, incredible, like almost like a cloud. But as soon as we stepped in, it broke apart into millions and millions of pieces that all came to my brother and just welcomed him and loved him and that unconditional love, millions, but it was one part of a whole. So in that, that's how I 
that's how I see this, this, we are part of it. You know, we are part of that, that big ocean, as you say, or the big cloud. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting quote that I quandaried for quite a while, for a long time. But uh, yeah, it's a, I think that a lot of us on the spiritual journey are all looking for that peace. And I think it's important to, to help people understand how massive we truly are, that we are not separate in any way. We are part of. And um, that, yeah, I think that's our evolution. It's our evolution. When we are looking at this movement of bringing forth pure love into the equation and changing the whole massive ideal, well, the ideology of what people are thinking religion is in this world. If we get people out there living this way, back up even further, what is the best way for people to grow so that they aren't, we're, we're looking at a total revolution. How are they going to release all of this past? I'll, I'll tell you, this is what I'm thinking. In, in 1960, I guess a Russian diplomat got on American TV and yeah, whatever his name was. And he was saying that it takes three generations to change a whole belief system, a whole government. So he was, so three decades basically. And, and it's always been this common thought. It takes three generations to really change the movement of people. How do you think it'll take that long for us to reach no, this understanding because, of pure uh, no, love? No, we the do answer, no, the answer is no because um, things are now moving exponentially. Things are not moving at a one, two, three, four rate. Things are moving at a two, four, six, eight, uh, 16, That's true, rate. I do agree with that, yes. So because of, because of the massive impact of the internet and our ability to communicate with each other, I mean, you know, if someone had told me 25 years ago that I would get on my computer in my own home and be talking to thousands of people simultaneously around the world, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed it. But I, I get it now. Now, I don't know how much more time you have to, for, for this program, but uh, my answer to your question is no. I was told in conversations with God that we are in a place where we can transform humanity's understanding of itself and of life on earth relatively quickly. Hmm. Okay, I love that. Yes, we are coming to a close. I do suggest that people read this book. Um, and I never got to the collective versus the individual and the consciousness versus the unconscious. But I can honestly say that people who get that far in the book will enjoy that section very much because it shows the cause and effect. It shows everything to understand how we react with our world and manifestation and bringing ourselves to a higher place. But I have and this so... doesn't have to be our last time together. We can have another program whenever you'd like. So we don't have to end our conversation here. If you I love that. Me. I would love to have you on again. 
And that is going to be the focus right there because that is a whole interview in itself. It is very good. And I found it very fascinating myself. I just liked it. Um, it has been a pleasure to have you on. And if now, what, how can they find the book? It's on Amazon, I'm sure, correct? Yes. And I'll be, I'll be happy to send a free copy of my author's manuscript. I'll upload it to your computer. Just send me a request. I have that right here. And the other thing, um, are you teaching any courses? Are you doing anything that you would like to let people know about? Not, not particularly at this point, but in the next few months, we are going to be uh, talking about a series of um, classes, programs, once a, one a month that we will be offering uh, as uh, we move into the deeper part of 2023. I think that's wonderful. So if, people want to, if anyone wants more information about what we're doing, and they want to stay connected with this energy, all they have to do is go to CWG, which of course stands for Conversations with God. So right. the address is cwgconnect.com. Wonderful. As always, guys, this show, this mystical muse, and this everyday spirituality, I hope you found the wonderful gems, especially on the forgiveness and understanding and also the wonderfulness of this pure, unconditional love that it is possible. And with understanding that we can have that effect on other people. Love you all. I will be on again and hopefully we will have Neil Donald Walsh on again. There's so much more we can discover. And until that, Live every day with the beautifulness inside you. Bring it forward, trust it, listen to it, let it guide you, and live that everyday spirituality in the best way possible. Namaste, my friends. Thank you for listening to this episode. Let everything you take away from this conversation strengthen the inner compass that will lead you to a life of greater meaning. For more episodes that will take you deeper into yourself and bring you closer to the gifts of your soul, visit elenachapman.com. Learn to manage today's society full of meaningless distractions, unchecked chaos, and deep societal divide with the help of your mystical muse, Elena. That's it for now. 